Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire. Jeff, could you maybe laugh just a little bit less? Come on, man. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Her. Thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? I am so super pumped to be here, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, I, when when your stuff came across my desk, I was like, oh yeah, I got to check this out because you're funny <laughs> and you like to laugh. I mean, true. Very true. the video on your homepage there at LeeCaraher.com. Hilarious. <laughs> So good job. Um, and I like the way you, you whispered at the end. I'm the millennial whisperer. <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit about what you've got going on. And that means that you wrote this awesome book, yes. uh, Millennials and Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. We'll get into all of that and talk about everything else that you've got going on at LeeCaraher.com. But first... This is Vroom Vroom Veer, right? So we have to go back in time and talk about the Lee Carraher superhero origin story. So when you got bit by that radioactive spider back in high school, right, right. It's top secret. I know. But we're going to declassify it just for this show. Awesome. (laughs) What were you like in high school? So in high school, I lived in Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, okay. Uh, and I went to an all-girl Quaker girl school called Lincoln School. And today, it's the only day school girl Quaker school left in the country. Wow. And wow. Um, it, it was really, you know, the longer I'm out of high school, which has been a long time, sure. the more I appreciate the high school experience that I had because it really um, set me up in a... Just, just a different way than uh, kids who do not have a Quaker school experience, and I'll tell, tell you about that, or for girls, particularly an all-girl experience. Because when I went to college, we, so everyone who went to this girl's school was like, ah, oh, my, there's no boys here, whatever. Right. But and when we got to college, you know, we knew day one who went to a girl's school because day one in a girl's school in class, the professor asks a question, and all the girls who went to an all-girl school raise their hands. And my experience was that <laughs> girls who had not gone to an all-girl school didn't raise their hands until they were sophomores. Interesting. So, um, and wow. that actually, anecdotally, seems to be true still to this day. So I was at this girl's school, Lincoln, a uh, small school. I'm not a Quaker. Um, but the thing about Quaker um, religion that came into the um, high school environment was it's extremely egalitarian. There were no positions in the class. So you didn't know who was first, who was last, who was second. You know, you had no idea where right. you ranked. Right, right. So, um, which made a big difference. We, we, didn't, we weren't all jockeying with each other, mm, you know? Right, right, right. I am first, I'm second kind of stuff. It was very, yeah. it, that really sort of removed a layer. There was a uniform, so that removed a layer because there were girls, you know, from very wealthy families and not so wealthy families, and right. we all had the same uniform. And then the other piece of it was the silent meeting. Um, 
So Quakers have their religious services, a silent meeting. And we had silent meetings three or four times a week where all the girls in the high school would come together in the auditorium and just sit there like quietly. I love for that. For 40 minutes. <laughs> That's actually and, really cool, though. And in today's world, oh, my gosh, 40 minutes Can quiet. you imagine that? Can you imagine? Three times, three times a week, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I would, you know, now I would, I would love it. But right. I and love so, the idea of it now, but when I was in high school, ugh, oh God. <laughs> well, we did, it sort of, and then if the spirit moved you, you sort of got up. And there was sort of this unwritten rule that all, before you graduated, you had to stand up once and talk about what was moving you. Okay. So, of course, the last two silent meetings, all the seniors were like, I'll go first, then, go, then I'll go. <laughs> right. You know. The spirit but, moved uh, me now, right? But in the school, I was not, um, I was definitely... So I, you know, and the farther away I am from it, the more I appreciate that experience. Like I said, the, um, I was sort of in the, I definitely wasn't, I was in the top academic group, but I was sort of the bottom of the top, you know, okay. sort of just skirting the line there between yeah, yeah, right. the, um, advanced class and the regular class. That was me too. And, um, right. in my senior year, I, I fell back. Into mm. in the English class, I fell back into the regular, which is ironic because now I write for a living. Um, but um, <laughs> you know, that's and weird. Yeah, book, right, right. I'm the only one who's written a book of my class, of course, I'm the one who slid back into this other class. Mm. But um, I was also on the field hockey team, um, which was awesome, and I was also in the singing group. In the singing group called the Lambricans. The Lambrican is the hel- Athena's helmet, and the Lambricans was this very. It's actually an elite singing group, and we. Mm. Um, it was part of the school day. So we practiced, was a class every day, and then we practiced four days a week after school. Oh, wow. And then wow, that's a whole lot of Over practice. the course of the year, maybe we had 50 concerts a course of the year, which is a lot wow. of concerts school year. And then yeah. um, we toured England and Wales and all this kind of stuff. And that, that actually taught like me. So even though I was on... I was on the field hockey team, which teaches you a lot about teamwork. Mm. But the singing, I think the singing actually taught me more about teamwork than the field hockey team did. Mm. Because the nuances of being in a, um, you know, when you're on the field, you have a position and then you move towards, you know, you move towards the ball and someone right. comes behind you and there's this whole succession. It's learning thing. your role. and Exactly. Like, right. You know, if the ball goes over here, you, you know, sled right and the other person will slide forward, blah, blah, blah. But right. when you're in a singing group, the nuances of singing together are really small, right? It's not, you know, you might have a part, so a high part, a high voice or a low voice, right. but you have to make it sound together. And yeah. so the voices, you know, 16, I guess there are 16 of us, 16 of us, um, 16 girls, all who wanted to be, you know, in the front. <laughs> <laughs> right. And all, all wanted to be heard in the loudest. All wanted third, to be right? heard. All were so, we all take t- turn as soloists because that's, th- that was the gig. Uh-huh. But having, learning how to tune yourself to six, you know, 15 other voices so that you blend it together. Mm. The nuance of that in a, in a teamwork situation, actually, I think prepared me more for working in a group um, in the workplace than working, being on the field hockey team. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I think that, you know, it was, um, I really enjoyed high school. I was very busy, you know, obviously field hockey and the singing and the academics. You, you weren't doing a lot of screwing around. I didn't have a lot. Well, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> right. some, did, some, some small amount of screwing around. I may have around. gotten in trouble at Lupo's Heartbreak Hotel in downtown Providence a couple of times. Okay. But that um, <laughs> was when the drinking age was much younger. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> 18 for a while, right? Yeah. All my friends, I was the only Irish um, 
person in our group, uh, well, me and Mary Pat. And then everybody else was either Italian or Armenian. So we stuck out like sore thumbs because we're very, very fair. Right. And we had redhead, red hair. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And then we would go into North Providence, which is the Italian part. And, you know, we couldn't even pronounce what was on the menu, you know. And people would just sort of look as like, what are they doing here? Who are you? You know. Right, right. You're weird. But they're still, you know, it's so funny. I didn't really keep track of my girlfriends from high school through my 20s or my 30s, but in my early 40s, I got back in touch. And now I am, I probably am talking with that group of carols. There are seven of us, uh, once or twice a month. And oh, I live wow. here, and they all live on the East Coast. And That's so amazing. It's, awesome. in fact, I, I, it's probably I hired because of Facebook of or something. Yeah, well, Facebook helped yeah. um, for sure. Yeah. Facebook helped for sure. Anyway, I have, I have one buddy that I met when I was in fourth grade. Do He's, you really? I do now, and, and and it has nothing to do with me. I am <laughs> I am horrible at keeping in touch with friends and and family. Right? Uh-huh. It's just I don't know. I just I'm not very good at it. Um, but this guy. Obviously, he's the the super connector of of all the people that we uh-huh. collectively know. Yeah. So if it weren't for him, you know, I wouldn't be connected to anybody. You know, from, from <laughs> well, back I moved, then. Um, yeah. I moved from the Boston area to Providence between seventh and eighth grade, so I didn't oh, keep right, any right. of my friends from uh, the Boston area at all. Mm. Um, you know that that age is really tough, and that was before cell phones and all kind of stuff too, sure, right? So yeah. yeah. When I moved to Providence, those girls are probably the tightest. And, I, and one, um, my a friend who went to the boys' school, John, he was actually my dude of honor in my wedding. Dude of honor. <laughs> Many years later, um, you had so a dude of honor, not a maid of honor. Is I that... did. He was my best friend. I was like, that's you know, amazing. Good for you. With a dude of honor. No, Although, nothing wrong. I, nothing at all wrong with a dude of honor. I just, well, I love it. Except that he did not know how to handle my dress, and he threw it over the railing, and maybe some people got a little. Too much viewing. <laughs> Just saying. But that that's that's I'll one downside of yeah. of dude I'm of never, honor. Okay. Yeah. Well, that was I didn't. You're kind of going that. into that, kind of asking for that. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't think he needed training in that, but apparently. Apparently, did. yeah. Ouch! Wow. But I'm not getting married again, so that won't happen. <laughs> <laughs> that was a practice wedding or a practice marriage. I'm Is that done. What you're, saying? you're done My with that. My husband and I will be married. 20 years this September. Oh, congratulations. So, wow. Yeah. I, Assuming I, he doesn't kill me before then, it's all right. good. <laughs> I'm not getting married again either. I'm going to keep the one I got. The one I got, man. Yeah, I'm with you. I was going to say, I, was, I, uh, I wasn't very athletic either. I did uh, a little bit like Pop Warner football when I was in elementary. And then I did a little bit of baseball in Little League. And mm-hmm. then I did one year, freshman year, I did football. In college or high school? In high school. Okay. Uh, I also did choir. Mm -hmm. So that was fun. Um, We didn't do, I think we only did like a couple of shows though. It was just choir class. Right. So it wasn't this traveling gig like you did. Yeah, this was very elite. Really neat. Yeah. It was really right. uh, an elite group. And it was nice to be both in the athletes, you know, with the with the athletics and in the music, because um, right. I like them both. Right. Then you cross-pollinate. You're not just a, a I single. I wasn't just one variety. or the other. And I took that into college, too. In college, I was on the field hockey team, and I was in Chamber Singers, and I was a captain of the field hockey team, and um, 
and then sort of would change out of my, you know, they wear kilts in field hockey, change out of my kilt and get into my singing, my singing work. And, you know, at college, I had three different names, depending on what I, people call me three different names because I had, it's a long story, but depending <laughs> what group I was in, right? And, the, and, and actually more than once in college, I was Well, that's good because that, at least you know, you know, who where you're talking from. to. Right, exactly. right, right. But in college, I was actually introduced by one person in the singing group to another person in the athlete group by my other name, right? Mm. Like, actually, they know me as something else. Sorry. Anyway. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've got a whole group of people that pretty much exclusively just call me Youper. Right. Because well, anybody on your, that was my nickname for that group. Anybody on your Skype calls you Youper. That right? too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I, I don't know how Youper came along. Oh, yeah, I do. So the, the Youper is like somebody from Upper Peninsula, UP. Michigan. Right. Oh, the yeah, UP. Been there. Right. Hello. It's awesome. Are well, you from now, there? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in oh, Menominee, God. Michigan. Right. Menominee. 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 I've been there. You've been there. Wow. Been there. That's My wacky. son went to school in Traverse, right outside of Traverse City, high oh, school. See, there you go. He went to Interlochen. Small world. Small world. Yeah, so I started uh, because you can't just go and do like jeffsmith.com. Somebody did. No, somebody did. Someone a long time ago did. Right. So I decided (laughs) to to go with Youper Smith because a lot of people were already calling me Youper. So that became my my internet superhero name. We were Um, just in the UP. I was Uh, just in the UP. Oh my gosh, maybe we saw each other. (laughs) No, I don't remember seeing you. Were you in Monotony? No, I was not there. No, you were not there. <laughs> UP. But I was at the UP. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty big though. I was on the Wisconsin side, not on the not on the not on the Michigan on the Michigan. UP really belongs in Wisconsin, not in Michigan. I'm just saying. I agree. Yes, and Taking we live Wisconsin. We live right on the on the border too. So. Oh, what, so you live on the Lake, Lake Superior side? Um. Well, like, not Lake Superior side. No, no. Um. You know, like you know where the little. Dip down, like right, right, just like 50 miles north of Green Bay, Wisconsin. Oh, that side. Okay, that Lake side. Michigan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lake ah. Michigan side. Right. Okay, I know where you are now. I'm <laughs> sure all your listeners are very excited about this conversation. <laughs> that's good. I love it. You know, it's 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 cool. It's a conversation. That's well, that's the show. If you yeah. have not been to the UP or to Lake Michigan or to Lake it's Superior, beautiful. Get your butt there. It yeah. is so beautiful. And it's, there's it's more There's more trees pristine. than people. Yeah. There's so much to do. Fresh air. It's beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. And the people are nice. And the food's great. So, as long as you want deep fried cheese. <laughs> you know, an aquarium for dessert. But yeah. <laughs> the, fresh, the fish boil. I never quite got my head around that one. Yeah. It's all pretty much deep fried and fatty. But it's delicious. <laughs> I did have my first deep fried Oreo at the Wisconsin State Fair. So. Wow. Okay, you just you just one upped me. Deep, <laughs> deep fried and Oreo. And we're done. That, yeah, there you go. And that's the show. <laughs> okay, so now we're we've 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 traveled to the college days. So what did you study in school? My um I went to college as a pre med. I thought I was gonna follow my father's footsteps. Okay. And basically, my first trimester, we were on trimesters, um, decided that that was not going to be true. That was not going to work out. Oh, my God. And um, I actually, my major was medieval history, of all things. I forgot. Yeah, that's in your bio. Now I remember. So we can talk about Game of Thrones. Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, And my minor was uh, voice. So um, 
history and voice. And in college, um, I went to Carleton College in Minnesota, a wonderful institution, small school. Now it's 2,000 kids. When I went there, it was 1,200 kids. And um, was able to do wonderful things. I mean, it's a, it's a liberal arts education, which I think is increasingly more important as more people try to figure out how to, if they're getting an ROI out of their education, but, you know, free-range thinkers are the ones who are, go- who are solving problems today, and they are, they're in such demand. Creativity think creative thinkers are yeah, more not just specialists. Today, not right. just specialists. Right. Um, and I loved the institution, and I loved my experience there, and I was able to do so many things. Like I said, field hockey, and the music, and the history, and I was an RA, and we played broom ball in the winter, and Sounds Rugby like you had a blast. <laughs> we had a blast. I did. I did have a blast. But I think the thing was, you know, I left when I was still having fun, you know, mm-hmm. and um, a lot. I haven't really gone back very much, um, and it's still warm in my heart. And I, but I don't live through college days. I, it's right. very challenging for me when I meet people thirty years later who just remember that football game that they played in. I'm like, okay, another time for that. <laughs> I feel on. Hockey. <laughs> I don't remember playing. I remember playing Bemidji, but I don't remember what the heck I did in the game. Bemidji. So. Oh, that's, that's Minnesota, right? Minnesota. Minnesota. <laughs> it was a great experience. Um, I, it was awesome. I mean, I was very fortunate to have a great high school experience and a wonderful college experience. So now you graduate college with a medieval history slash voice degree. So that that well, translate to a whole lot of employment <laughs> at McDonald's. Is that where you ended up, or so you know, so, well, voice the music department really encouraged me to pursue a music career, and okay. the history department really encouraged me to pursue a PhD history, you know, some sort of history career. Okay. And um, <clears throat> what I knew about myself, which is still true, is that I'm not good at focusing on just one thing, and that I'm easily bored, and so you sound I like should me. not. Yeah, we're probably very alike. Yeah, I, I'm um, getting that now. I should um, be able, you know, I should focus on uh, things that allow me to do multiple modes, right? Yes. So um, my friend Ramona Advani, who um, we were on the same floor four years in a row, which was unusual there. But um, uh, she said, you know, you should go into PR. And I said, what is PR? I had no idea. Right. And she goes, no, oh, you'd be really good at it, Lee. And so I went to the Career Center. And there was a book, What is PR? So I took it out. <laughs> and I read about PR. And I was like, yeah, that sounds interesting. I could do that. Wow. And okay. I, um, I was in school in Minnesota. I'd grown up in Boston and Providence. My parents at the time lived in San Francisco. I did not want to go home to my parents. So um, at that time, I wanted to be on the agency side. And you really could do it in Boston, New York, Chicago, and San Francisco. L.A. was really just... Um, uh, publicist for stars and stuff, and that didn't really interest me. Right. So um, I asked my father's best friend to help me find a job in Boston. And he made me write a letter to him saying why I was worthy of his extra work. Wow. And why, you know, why I would Where'd be. Where'd you go, Dad? Yeah. <laughs> my dad's best friend. Not even my dad. It was my dad's best friend. Right. And um, he so he made me write this letter about why I wanted to go in PR and why he should spend the time doing this. And he rejected my first letter and made me do it again. Wow. And um, in Wasn't that process, enough. though, it was fantastic, though. I mean, I think anyone who's asking for help should actually go through this process. Yeah. Like, why should someone put themselves out for you? Right. No, it's um, a good good idea. Yeah. So um, I did that, and then he set me up 
And basically, he called his sister-in-law, who worked at a headhunting firm, and she put, called some. She called in all these favors, and I had like fourteen informational interviews in one week through him. And this is all in Boston. All in Boston. Okay. And I got offered five internships, and I took the one that paid the most, which was at a a, a PR firm that had a high tech PR division before, right when high tech PR was just starting. Okay. And so what was high, what was the height of tech at this time? What what year are oh we talking gosh. about? Oh my gosh. Nineteen eighty. Seven. Whoa, that's when I graduated high school. So let's yeah. see here, eighty-seven. No worries. Hey, hey, we're we're all in it together. Wang <laughs> terminals. Right. Yes. He, um, to in order to send a press release out at a certain time for you know if it was a time sensitive thing, um, we would get all the lowest people. You know, all the interns and the account coordinators would um, be given copies of a fax, and we would all be at the different fax machines on different floors and with dial numbers. And then over the intercom, they would go five, four, three, two, one, fax. <laughs> and six of us would be faxing for an hour getting the fax out. Wow. That's you know, a, that was no email. press release then. Wow. I mean, we were typing. Wow. That's yeah. How- yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Typewriters were still around on desks and oh, people yeah. used them. Yeah. Well, when I went to um, my Air Force Tech School, my my job was originally called administrative specialist, and they trained us using uh, IBM Selectric three typewriters, which they're electric electric typewriters, uh-huh. right? But then they had like the top copy was the record copy, which was plain oh, paper. You have a carbon copy, and then behind it there were carbons. Yes, wow, <laughs> I know. Wow, I, it is a whole. It's so weird to think about how much how much different life is now, you know, even how much has changed. The speed of which things change. So if I went to, I started with the Wang, literally a Wang. Yeah, we had one of those at my first Air Force base. It was a Wang Uh, word processor, right? Yeah. And it had dumb term terminals. Yeah, and green monochrome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then... um, Probably a Daisy Wheel printer. uh, Probably. Maybe. (laughs) The kind that goes right at tat tat. That was 1987. And then in 1993, when I moved to Los Angeles, uh, we were on um, another Unix, some sort of Unix thing. Okay. And, but we had email, there but was, we did have fax email, machines, yes. but we didn't, people didn't send attachments through email cause you know, no. No one thought they, never, right. Cause you'd have to dial up. And that right? was like still the early days of email too. Oh, so, totally. Right. Yeah, very, so very early. It wasn't, LA, there wasn't even an internet yet. Pretty much, right? No, I don't think so. So I would go home. <laughs> there was, uh, so, it was there, but it, nobody used it yet. Nobody used it. Yeah. So, all of the people who reported to my boss had fax machines at home. And this, I lived in Manhattan Beach at the beach. So all the nice. apartments were really small. Yeah, yeah. And I expensive. Had a, I, I, had a, <laughs> I had a fax machine in my bedroom. And it would be rolling all weekend long because she would just work all weekend long. And then I would, sometimes I ran out of the fax paper. And I would come, you know, the pink line of the paper. And I would come into the work. Because you that. didn't respond. You didn't, you didn't comment on all the other. I said, well, I didn't get it. Did you run out of fax paper, Lee? I ran out of fax. <gasps> oh, my God. So for a year and a half, every time I left on Friday, her assistant would hand me a box of fax paper. <laughs> when I left the company, I had tons of fax paper, which today would be, you, don't need, you can't even buy that stuff. Right, you know? right. That's the speed like, of which communication has changed is just, I mean, it's, it's impacted amazing. the PR business so mm. dramatically. Oh, yeah. The, 
the job is still the same. Figure out what to say and figure who to say it to and get one point one from point point A to point B. But how you do it today is just so dramatically different than it was when I started. Yeah. But I can imagine there's downsides to the the speed. Tremendous. That, right? Well, you know, just give you time to think. Right. When you know, until nineteen eighty three the rotary phone was the primary phone in this country. Right. So the rotary phone, when you had to go, it actually took 20 seconds to make a phone call. Right. Then it was the push button phone that took over in terms of popularity. Then it was the cord. Remember the cordless phone is in your house. Oh my gosh, I can walk anywhere. And that's when multitasking. Right. Yeah. You know, before you do that, you had to stand next to the phone. Right. You couldn't go anywhere. Right. It's attached to the wall. You can't. Exactly. But then as soon as there was a fax machine, you went from a memo to a fax. And people, when you had a memo, you had a week to respond. When you had the fax, you had about 24 hours to 48 hours to respond. Right. With email, you have 20 seconds to respond. Oh, And it's crazy. You need, I mean, we all need time to think. And actually, that's Mm. one thing I tell all the people who work for me is there's no, you know, unless something's on fire or someone could die, there's probably not a reason you have to respond right then. Yeah. What you do need to do is acknowledge the email. Right. Say, I got it. I will be able to respond to you fully within 24 hours. Right. And you may not need that 24 hours. But, but it's you should always buy a good idea. yourself yeah. the 24 hours. Yes, for sure. Because it gives you time to think. That's my my rule. And, you know, just for email in general, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't immediately reply to anything that's important. You know, mm-hmm. I might. Yeah. Like what you just said, acknowledge and say, yeah, acknowledge. Got it. Yeah. it. I'm going to check it out and give it its due. I'll get back to you. Yeah. Yeah. So important. And I'm not going to get back to them in a day, <laughs> especially yeah. when I'm looking at a bunch of different stuff and it's just me, you know. Right. But they you get that. Buy, yeah. yourself, buy yourself time. Right. But really? I, my thought was, was uh, I bet like it's easier to get yourself in trouble if, with people moving so fast. Oh my gosh! Right. Well, we have at uh, at my company, so I run a PR firm. Right. Have a um, a five minute um, delay put on our emails. Really? Oh, that's yeah. the best. So Good it goes idea. into a delay bucket, right? Yeah. And then it gets sent. Right. Because I probably retrieve something from email once or twice a day. Wow. You know. Wow. And just you buy five to minutes. Send that. <laughs> like, oh darn! I forgot so and so. Did I put him on the line? You know. Right. Right. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So just another little tip for you. Yeah, we had uh, in the Air Force, de- depending on where you worked and, you know, the scenario and who you're talking to, um, there was always a, a, a very long, intensive off-computer process to send a very important email. You know what mm-hmm. I'm talking about? You know, I can imagine. Yeah, one of those <laughs> coordinated, you know, messages, you know, this... Well, but, the know, email it, addresses are so darn long that it would take you that long to put it in with all the IX and the .coms <laughs> and the USA. I mean. It's gotten better. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So now, let's see. Now you, you're in Boston and you got your first job, but you didn't mm-hmm. stay there, right? You you eventually no. moved to San Francisco. So I moved how did first that happen? to Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, so Los Angeles. Okay. Actually, so I was working for a company, and um, they were opening, and I and I wanted to move. I wanted to move. Right. Um, most of my friends in the Boston. So Boston is an awesome town. Um, we have an office there, and my father now lives in Cambridge, and my sister lives in Wabin. You know, so that's where I grew up. It was an awesome town. But if you didn't, if you're young and you didn't go to college there, it's sort of the young scene. Everybody moves in herds. Right. The BC herd, the Tufts herd, the Harvard herd, the Smith. I mean, everyone moves in herds. 
And um, I had made friends in all these different herds. And, right, right. And then in one year, like 11 of them left town. They got jobs. They got married. They went to school, mm. you know. And so basically all my friends the were. The herd moved. Was, yes. The herd moved, dispersed. <laughs> and um, I, uh, all my friends were at work. And I thought, oh, that's probably not that healthy. And I also got diagnosed with, I forget what it's called, but the sun sensitivity. I was very just down in the dumps. It was winter. And the doctor said, Oh, seasonal so affective disorder. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, I went to the doctor and said, you know, Lee, what you should do is you should get in a, a tanning booth every day for this period of this the year. Mm, and I'm no. of Irish descent. Yeah. And I looked at him and I said, I'm going to be a French fry in a week. You know, <laughs> maybe I should just go where the sun is. Amen. <laughs> and... So I decided I would move to California. My parents at the time were in San Francisco, and our office was opening an office in California, in Palo Alto, and I went to the owner of the company, and I said, hey, can I move to Palo Alto? And he said, yes. In six months, you can go. And then at three months out, I said, okay, I'm here to plan my move to California. He goes, oh, Lee, you can't go. And I said, what? You're too important in these accounts. You can't go. So I walked back. I didn't walk. I stalked back to my desk. (laughs) Stomped. Back to your desk. And I <laughs> called the headhunter. I was um, I was one of only three or four people in the country doing C plus plus PR. It's a long story. It's a programming language. I've heard of uh, C plus plus PR for C plus plus and object oriented programming. Oh wow! Okay. And I had been, um, which is now very to regard, but at the time it was very on the edge. So sure. I called all the um, headhunters who had called me in the last month or half. I said, "Get me to California," and um, I was in. Los Angeles, rolling into um, Marina Del Rey right after the Rodney King um, okay. riots. So that's 92. Uh, eight years later. Eight weeks later. Okay. So I got there in eight weeks. Uh, so I moved to L.A. That was the, I thought that was the best job, and I learned so much uh, in Los Angeles. I lived at the beach. I worked in Universal City and Century City. and um, That's kind of a hike. It, that's that's a bit well, of a drive. <laughs> it's a big drive. It is. And I would get up early in the morning and I would drive over to Universal City. That was my second job there. And I would go to the gym. And then I would go to work. Yeah, because you have and, to because you're going to get there insanely early or insanely exactly. late. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But um, <laughs> on the weekends, I would drive home and I wouldn't pick up, you know, I wouldn't get in my car the whole weekend. I was rollerblading, you know, going to the beach. Where I was in this, uh, you know, 20s. Football, volleyball, co-ed league and stuff. It was so much fun. I don't oh, remember a, a lot of it, frankly, right. Jeff. But, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. But you did. You do well, remember good times. I remember having good fun. Yeah. I also remember it not. It didn't feel like home to me. But um, And then I moved to San Francisco. I met my uh, soon, my then boyfriend. I met, he was up here in San Francisco. I was down there. And then I got an offer from Sega, the video game company. Right. Who had been a client to come in-house. And I moved up um, to San Francisco for that and for him. Awesome. Wow. 20-something years ago. Yeah. Wow. So this is home now. San Francisco is definitely my home. It's just, you know, there's... See, if my children tell me that they're bored, I said, there is no reason for you to be bored in the San Francisco Bay Area. <laughs> no, especially with the, the public transportation. So yeah. And oh. it's bike friendly. It's fun. Relatively There's, safe. Relatively. As, a, relatively as all places. Safe. Yeah. Yeah. We can get to the beach in 20 minutes. And we Amazing can food. In five minutes. We can. Yeah. There's no reason to be bored here. No. So um, it's definitely home now. Yeah. I love San Francisco. An expensive home. 
but it's definitely yeah. helps. <laughs> I love it's it. You know, I, I'm going to basically say uh, my attitude towards California is it's a great place to visit. I'm ready to move. <laughs> <laughs> But if you found home, that's great. That's great for you, you know. Um, yeah, well, I think it is, you know, the, the it costs a lot to, you pay, you're paying for the weather. That's for sure. That's it. That's it. That's what, you know, it's the sun the tax. Yeah. Yeah. The weather is, is amazing, true. but the traffic you know, stinks. The traffic's terrible. Yeah. What's the San Francisco situation like with, with traffic? It's bad, right? It's bad. I mean, in, where you live, you know, you have much wider freeways. Yeah. We, I think our widest freeway is your narrowest freeway, you know? Really? Oh. Yeah. Yuck. So, um. Yeah, that's uh, not good. Uh, Just yeah. as many cars and, and narrow Lots roads. Lots of cars. Yeah. Well, not so many people. I think, you know, San Francisco, Bay, the whole Bay Area, which is San Jose over to Nevada and through the peninsula is maybe 7 million people. And L.A. area, if you don't count it, just the LA area alone is what 15, 20 million people. So it's way too many damn people. A lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I feel you on that. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So now we're pretty much up to the present. So we have to talk we about <laughs> how did, how did I'm, I'm, I, I, I want to know the story of how you started to get this nickname, the millennial whisperer. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Let me, how did you become the millennial whisperer? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so okay. Um, when I started this company in 2002, after the last big downturn, okay, uh, two downturns ago, so I guess. this is your own company now. It is okay. Um, we decided we were only my partner and I, Dan, who left the company twice. Actually, long story. Um, decided we were only going to hire people who had 10 years of experience. So that's kind of uh, expensive and hard. But in 2002, it was easy and cheap. Ah, because no okay. one, because of the people, Yeah, eighty thousand people left this area, left the Bay, San Francisco Bay Area. Eighty thousand professionals left this area between two thousand and end of two thousand and two. Wow! So there were a lot of people here who didn't have work, mm. and in my business, there were tons of people who didn't have work. So actually, you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting people with PR ten years experience. experience. Okay. Um, Sad, but okay. Uh. And my theory was that they would just know what to do better. That was actually a wrong theory. But um, I, what I was really tired of was working with Gen Xers who had had it really good. And um, I had spent the, I, the company I left in 2001, I'd had about 750 people, 13 offices. And wow. that was the height of the dot com uh, bubble. Boom. Bubble, yes. Yeah. Boom. Bubble. Um, boom. And then the bubble burst and all that right. kind of stuff. Um, and then I remember um, those days. It was it was like that was probably the most the the most apparent bubble in the bubble to me. Yes, because if it you was had like, a pulse, you got a job. Right, if, and it was all of these like, what are you guys doing? Well, we haven't quite figured that out yet, but we're getting a shitload of funding. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, over and so, over and over again. Right, over and over again. And my company, that's my company, service those companies. Right, right. So. Um, in our company, in the Double Forte, uh, started in 2002. We're doing great. 2008 comes along, and I'm actually thinking, you know, we have 18 people by then, I guess, and, you know, I could probably work a little less. I'd like to ride horses again with my son. Mm-hmm. And Want a little uh, me time. Yeah, or a little kid time, something. Okay. And um, 
So I decided, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And that was September 13th. September 14th, I figured out, that was a Sunday, figured out how to do it on September September 15th, which was when the stock market took the biggest no dive ever. Uh, you know, by 10 o'clock, I was like, oh, I'll be really happy at four days. Oh, at 1030, really happy at five days. By noon, I was like, I'll be so thrilled if we're flat at eight days a week. And um, from that experience, you know, um, we changed our business, you know, going into coming out of a, um, any sort of economic bubble, any sort of economic shift, either it's a small shift in your own company mm-hmm. or it's a regional shift or it's a you know, worldwide shift, you know, a business model that got you there is probably not going to be the business model that takes you from there. Right. So we looked at our business model and I said, you know, we're not going to have enough people. Ten years of experience are too expensive. Now they've got 15, 16 years experience because it's that many years later. Right. Right. And um, so there's you almost can't no afford your, your workforce anymore. We couldn't afford the model. The model. Right, and right, we're right. going to run out. And more importantly, we we're going to run out of people. There were no people hired in 2000. So in 2010, there were almost no people in San Francisco Bay Area with 10 years of experience. Right. Wow. Yeah. Because. They just didn't get hired between 2000 and 2003 or four. Okay. So there was going to be this big donut hole of talent. In, in an agency, you always want to be bringing people from the bottom. Mm-hmm. Always want to be feeding the bottom, wherever that bottom is. And we, right. our bottom was going to be unviable. So we started to, okay, we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to hire young people. Everybody now. Yeah. So we hired. Um, we decided to do that. Changed our model. Blah blah blah. And we hired our first uh, young woman, who. She's fantastic, by the way. Mm-hmm. She's awesome. Her first day on the job, she brings her dog to work. And, um, <laughs> okay. Which in San Francisco, a lot of people have dogs at work. But, you know, I, I came in a little late that day and um, there was a dog. And not only was there a dog, there was a dog bed, there was a kibble dispenser and a water filtration system. Wow. For the dog. And I was like, okay. What's this dog doing here? Like, did she ask if she could bring the dog? No. <laughs> no. Did she tell us she was bringing the dog? Mm. No. Is anybody allergic to dogs? Right. Is I it a know. service dog? <laughs> it is a service dog. It is a what? service dog. It is a service That's dog. Chihuahua service dog. Wow. Okay. This is not my concept of a service dog. Right. Of course. Right. Right. And, um, I was sort of befuddled, right? And then I came out of, I was like, oh, well, that's sort of interesting. All right, service dog, can't get rid of him. Right. Uh, I bet, hopefully that dog does not bark. And this dog was awesome. Czar is the dog's name. Yeah. I love this dog. Right. Um, and I went back to my office and I came out later. And I said, oh, where's the girl with the dog? Oh, she left. It was 3.30. I was like, what do you mean she left? First day on a job. Yeah, she went to San Diego. She won't be here tomorrow either. I'm like, did she ask if she could leave at 3.30? Did she tell us she had to go to San Diego? No, 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 no. I was like, what the hell just happened? And, is she um, the CEO now or something? <laughs> uh, well, somewhere else she is. Um, well, she's not CEO. but So I called my friend who runs another firm in town. I said, okay, this just happened. And he went off, Jeff. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, yeah. so millennials are, 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 are we talking about? I'm like, what the hell is it? Boomers no and uh, boomers and Gen Xers or uh, boomer to boomer? Boomers, Gen, boomer. I was talking to a boomer. Right. Uh, 
But at the t- I mean, I didn't know what a millennial was. I'm like, right. what are you talking about? Oh, they're terrible. This whole generation's just terrible. I'm like, well, yeah, that's a little dramatic, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so we figured out the whole thing. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to pay attention to you. And then I called somebody else, and they said the same thing, and so on, and so on. Right. So, so this um, is your first run-up against this word millennial. First up, correct. Did mm. not – I was, like, Googling millennial. What the hell? All right. Um, so I um, didn't think – I mean, I was like, oh, they've just got a bad attitude. Um. Which often happens in my career, in my business. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so good to know. I I didn't think too much of it. I, I you know when she got back in the office, I'm like, okay, we need to talk about this. We need you to set down to... some ground rules here. Yeah, the dog get to come though because the dog is service dog had the, right. had the red vest. Right. In you couldn't do months, anything had... about that, right? No. no. Two months, I had nine service dogs in the office. Ah. <laughs> she ran the side work. She ran the side job of getting. Showing people how to get their dog with the red vest. Wow. And that, and those weren't all millennials. Those were like boomers and extras and everything else. Okay. Anyway, so um, it took us, so that was our first one. She's, her work was unbelievably fantastic. Well, so yeah, because she had her little chihuahua there helping her out. Pretty much, I think. <laughs> I think she's good without the chihuahua. Yeah. Um, so it's chihuahua she, power. She's fantastic, right? And I didn't think anything of it. I was like, oh, she's just quirky. Right. And um and it did we didn't hire more millennials for another eight or nine months. And so the next time we hired, we hired six millennials within eight weeks of each other. Wow. And with in three months of that, they were all gone. Really? And we'd they had either quit. E- including or, Chihuahua Girl or No, 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 no. Oh, no, no not her. Okay. No, not Chihuahua Girl. <laughs> Chihuahua Girl actually had to move back to San Diego because her mother um got sick and she mm. went to be with her mom. Okay. So um and so one person leaving could be their problem. Like, that could have been a bad hire. But six people within the same time, time area? No, that had to be our problem. And I am wow. no, good I was, for you. Until that moment, I was known for recruiting. I was, like, the master recruiter. People wanted to work for me. And six people left within three months. That had never happened to me in my whole career. So then right. I started looking at it. I was like, what the hell did we just do wrong, you know? And um, so I started looking into it. And... Uh, based on a lot of interviews that I did and research that I did and, you know, all this kind of stuff, we had to upend the way we worked because um, millennials don't work the same way. They don't need to they have a different point of view than Gen Xers and boomers. And what totally. I found out yes. was that if you create an environment where millennials can thrive, boomers and Xers thrive too. But yes. the reverse is not true. Right. The other truth is if you don't have a millennial in your business, you do not have a future in your business. So I wasn't willing to be unhappy with people I was hiring. Um, And so I just sort of, we created this different culture with different norms in order to create a place where millennials could thrive and therefore boomers and extra could thrive. And then um, my clients started asking me for this help because they were having problems in their own companies with it. And then my friends would ask for help. And then one of my friends just called me a millennial. You're like the millennial whisperer, Lee. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, whatever. Right. And that just sort of stuck. Like it, someone put it on Facebook and then I was like, millennial whisperer. And I, I really don't, I, look, I prefer to be millennial champion, right. frankly. But um, that's how I came about. And then sometimes, I, sometimes those monikers just get attached to you, whether you like it yeah, or not. Yeah. Exactly. I know. <laughs> like in your call sign in the, in the art in the Air Force, right? So um, yes, those are assigned to you. You're right. You're right. right. You don't so, get a vote in that. 
That's if you true. watch Big Bang Theory, you know that Howard's Fruit Loops. Um, right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then I was talking to a book publisher about something different, and I won't bore you with that long story, but it just came up. She goes, I think you should write that book. I'm like, what book are you talking about? This millennial book, How to Work with Millennials. And I, She goes, I'll publish that book. And I'm like, I don't have a book. She goes, well, you could write one. I'm like, <laughs> you're, right. you're right, I could. So I did. That's great. And um, how how and did I, that feel? Uh, was it was it a lot of work, or were you under a lot, a lot of pressure? Work. It was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I felt definitely. It was on a quite a tight deadline. I felt, um, you know, I did it on quite a tight deadline. The benefit was that I'd done all the work on the how to. The book is the first part of the book is sort of the why, and the second half, the bigger part of the book is the how to. Okay. And the how to stuff is so we'd already worked out. Right, mm, right, right. So that, um, that you had all you had that written down had for that. the yeah, yeah. Got and it. so that's how it that's how it happened. That's a good story. Talk about veering off a path. Talk about you know that's <laughs> then that's the definition of a veer. It's like the world has changed. We must adapt. And how are we going to deal with that? Well, you know that's the piece, right? You know, um, and I think that's actually a bigger piece for people who are Gen Xers and Boomers mm. is that. We, if we stay on one path, we are not going to be relevant. And right. relevancy is the most important thing in terms of our uh, sustainability and our futures and being able to make, you know, what we need to retire is relevancy. And yeah. um, you have to be relevant, which means you really have to do. We had a prospective client come in the other day and um, like, and they just asked me, you know, do you have a Snapchat? I'm like, yeah, I got a Snapchat. Show it to me. Like, he didn't believe that I had a Snapchat. So I showed it to him, and he was like, he didn't know anything about Snapchat. But he wanted to make sure I knew what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> I'm 52 years old. I shouldn't really have a Snapchat, right? Right. <laughs> but that was my business, right? I should, you know, and, yeah. and clients want to know that you're relevant. Right. You know, so the relevance right. is sort of adjusting to the situation. Yeah. And I think I think a lot of boomers, I'm a boomer, I you know, there are a lot of bitter, bitter boomers out there that really got hammered in 2008, 2009, yeah. still trying to recover from it. And we lost a lot of money. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to be working extra years because of that. Mm. But either I can hit my head against the wall of it and just be wallow in that fact, or I can solve it. Right. And I, you know, baby needs a new pair of shoes, man. I got to yeah. have to solve that you problem. Do what you got to do. Because these things are out of our control. Yeah. And, right? me, and me, that's the worst of it. Me being a Gen Xer, I have like, I've learned that I think if we could put one word on Gen X, it would be cynical, <laughs> right? Well, you guys got screwed. <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> so Gen Xers, right? Smallest generation. So by definition, so uh, boomers, 78 million, millennials, 80 million, Gen Xers, 46 million. So okay. smallest generation, which means you should have lots and lots of opportunity. Right. right. It's just it, that's what it should mean. However, because of what is happening. So in 2000, this is when Gen Xers are just getting into the workforce. Okay. Right. Yep. First, you know, the NASDAQ bubble, NASDAQ crash, the bubble burst. Right. Ripples mean in, in the big tech centers around the country. So California, the whole West Coast, part of parts of Texas, a lot of the East Coast and parts of the middle. Right. Chicago, Minneapolis. Right all get really significantly impacted. And Gen Xers, all of a sudden, they were able to, they were like jockeying for jobs moving from one to the, they're the original job hoppers. 
uh, in, in 99, 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, th- those jobs don't exist, right? So they get, right as they're getting into the workforce, boom, the compression happens. The bottom falls out, right. Yeah, compression yeah. happens. Yeah. And then um, the economy comes back, and it takes a few years, and then 2008. So this is eight years later, basically, eight, nine years, you know, seven, eight Just years later. Just when you're kind of getting mid-career-y. Or should have been. Right. So the oldest yeah. Xers are getting mid career. The youngest Xers are like 25. Right. Right. Bottom drops out again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> everybody. It doesn't just stop, drop out. Right. You know, I said 80,000 people left the Bay Area. Well, nobody moved in 2008, 2009, 2010. There was nowhere to go. Yeah. I mean, people moved for jobs in 2000. There were no jobs to be had. So people were stuck in, stuck in wherever they were. And then boomers who, there were millions of boomers who thought they were going to retire in 2008, 2009, 2010, who are still working. Right. Day. Right. Because they have to fill their coffers back up. Or they, you know, maybe they invested in real estate in, you know, on the outskirts of Phoenix for a dollar. You know, I know lots of people who put money into Phoenix area, into Miami, into... What Tucson, seemed like a really good idea at the Las time. Las Vegas. Right. Awesome, great idea. And that, you know, it was a wasteland of um, homes. Right. So then boomers are staying in their jobs as long as they can. So now there's no place to elevate to. Right. 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 So the Xers thought they were going to elevate, but then they're compression again. Boomers stay in their jobs as long as they can. Six million people so lost the, their jobs that year. The folks that we should be replacing aren't moving. Correct. Right. This happens at the same time as a tsunami of millennials are coming into the workplace who will work for free. Yeah, they do really cheap because, right? You know, yeah, right. And the 36% of them live at home. 29% of working millennials live at home. Wow, right. You know, they're graduating That's a, so much debt. Another big shift, right. So much debt because their boomer parents maybe thought they could pay for the education, but they lost their retirement savings, so they could not pay for the education. And the result right. is yeah, yeah. that as education has increased in cost, boomers are less and less able to pay for it. Right. So they get out of college expecting to have the right. job, of the, the dream job and the uh, white picket fence and the American dream, and it doesn't work out, and they end up working at a sub shop or something. Or Sometimes. they, or they, yeah, they do, and yeah. or they've taken jobs that maybe an exer would have taken, right, for half, right, because they're younger and they're more, and they know, don't, they, they're leaner and they don't have as much crap. So the Xer, right. the Gen Xer, really has been squeezed all over the place from the two bigger generations, the economy two or three times depending where you live in the country, mm. and it is very cynical. There are also many more single children in the Gen X generation than there yeah. are boomers. Yeah, the, the, it's like my the generation, original latchkey kids. Yeah, we made up the uh, the ba- baby mama and the baby daddy kind of yeah. culture. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> latchkey kids, kids are very independent, used to doing things by themselves. Right. Um, and when there's no ladder to climb. What are you going to do? Right. Right. So. Well, you know, uh, my thing that was is. Half the ga- that was the half the battle is understanding the diff- Half the battle is understanding, is understanding the, the why. Right, right. And the situations, right? Yeah. Right. Anyway, so that's how it became the millennial whisper. Very long story. Sorry. <laughs> no, I loved it. But, <laughs> you know, before we, uh, be- let's let's say your uh, website one more time. It's com, And you can find out more about the book and everything else you got going on there. Um, and then before we, I let you go real quick, uh, I want to get into this. How did you meet the Air Force Chief of Staff? Because that's oh like gosh. a blast. 
You know, I met because um, I was in the Air Force, and, and in case I know. people listening don't know, so and I happen so, to know the Air Force. Well, I I don't know him, but I saw him speak once. So he's a so really cool Welch, guy who has just retired. Um, yeah. He's being, you know, um, I'm uh, had the very great honor of being invited to the Pentagon to speak with um, him and the upcoming uh the chief of staff elect i don't know what they call him designation right 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 right. several of their staff about uh in a um sort of a small you know brain trust of people talking about recruiting and and sort of the future and and how to attract the best of the best to come to the air force and bet you that that table had really nice wood finish and it did nice, nice china yeah it did. <laughs> um, it was amazing. And I had never been to the Pentagon. And I sort of, right. I actually thought it was a joke. I got this thing in the mail. Yeah. You know, and I was like, okay, why? I didn't even open it. I was like, right. oh my gosh. And then I got an email from his, his uh, people and then a phone call. And I thought the phone call was a joke. I thought it was someone pranking me. And so I, I said, I actually had to go into a meeting. I said, I have to go into a meeting right now. I'd be very happy to talk to you. Um, let me take your phone number and I'll call you right back. And I called back and it was the department. I was like, oh my gosh. This is real. <laughs> so I had the great honor of being um, being for a meeting there. Um, and then uh, joining him and his wife, Betty, at their home um, wow. for dinner with everybody else. And, um, and so it came out of... Did he live in government housing or did he have his own house? He did. Yeah, yeah. I thought, he lived I, I figured and he I did. They, Probably they like Andrews Air Force Base or something. No, um, it's another... It's another. It's actually a fort, um, okay. yeah. In in DC, and it's an incre- his uh, the chief of staff's house is incredibly positioned right on top of this hill that overlooks the Washington Monument and Congress. Ooh, wow! Unbelievable. But that they were incredibly perks. gracious, incredibly gracious. Um, and I learned a lot about the Air Force. And this man, I don't think, could have been more proud of the men and women who serve in the Air Force. And we talked a lot about. I mean, he just. It, he was just, um, and the whole staff was just genuinely interested in what the people around the table um, were experiencing in the commercial world um, that could be applicable to the Air Force world, which is very different from the Marine world or the Navy world or the Army world. So, right, uh, yeah, I was, I was, what an honor, what an honor to be there. So, do you think, uh, do you think you gave him some nice tips that you might? Like, I, I know. I can't like, tell you what I told him. Yeah, please. I can't. <laughs> oh, you can't tell me. What I can't you told tell you what I told him. But I did. You know, there's two things that they have done since that since that day that uh, came out of that conversation. Okay, good. Um, so you were, saw some results. Useful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm very focused on. I only want to do things that are useful and that benefit somebody, which is why I wrote the book. I mean, I, you know, if it had been a book on, you know, red noses or something, I wouldn't have written it. <laughs> <laughs> because I have, I mean, I, I, you know, I've been in this business for a long time. I've run my own business for 14 years now. I've been through three downturns. I have a special needs child. I'm the breadwinner in our house. You know, we have all these things, right? They're a little bit different. Mm. And um, I, we've had to sort of forge our own way um, in many places. And anything I can do to share experience that people could take a nugget from, I will do. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Well, that's I, what we're here for. The reason why I asked is I had another guest on the show and he's still he is an active duty Marine and he's uh, he's getting ready to separate. 
Um, mm-hmm. But he that uh, means leave the Marines. That doesn't mean separate from his wife. Right, right, right. <laughs> separate from the Marines. That means leave the right. Marines without retiring. Just get out. Um, right. And but his thing was he was sort of like a. I guess he was like a regional supervisor for um, a lot of different recruiters in the Marines. Mm -hmm. And he started really leveraging uh, social media to, to reach out to the recruits. And obviously those guys are all millennials. Yes, (laughs) So I thought that was really, really innovative and, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and he's doing a really good job, you know? So I thought, Mm -hmm. I thought that was was, um interesting. We know, I think what I did not realize before I went there that day is how constrained and hamstrung uh, the armed forces are with how they can use the money allotted to them because of how Congress works. And I learned, I learned a lot that day about the color of money. (laughs) Well, it's really, I mean, you know, you know, how we deploy our resources is not um, dictated by how what the people in the forces think we should do, right? Right, right. It's a lot of it is dictated by who is in charge and who is the elected official and how many resources are in each of those elected officials. It's very political. Yeah. 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 And it totally hamstrings um, our armed forces and really hamstrings the air force more than the others um, because of the size of the air force versus the others. And the qualifications to be in the air force are very different from the qualifications to be in the Navy, the army or the Marines. So, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was, I got an education and I had even more respect. I walked in with a lot of respect. I have uh, a lot of family who, um, were in the Navy and I graduated from Annapolis and I walked in with a lot of respect for the armed forces and I came out just bursting with pride. So, um, Aww. yeah, <laughs> Aww. Yeah, yeah. That really. guy. Uh, I, uh, I, I was. I told you that I saw him speak. Yeah. And usually, you know, when when you're an Air Force active duty and you hear, oh, General So and So is coming, and we have to go listen to him talk. Wah, it's wah, like, wah, 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 or <laughs> yeah. groan, you know. Yeah. And then, okay, fine. Where's my hat? I hope it's not too sunny. Blah blah blah. Right. And you <laughs> and you go get ready to be bored for an hour. And then General Wells shows up. And this was back, I think he was either a one-star or a two-star at the time. And he gave the funniest, most impassioned speech about Mm -hmm. leadership. And it was very human. He's like, I don't care who you are. If you're a senior airman or a staff sergeant and you're in a leadership position and other people are looking at you as a leader, you're a leader. And that's hard. Okay. (laughs) And I was like, thanks. I know it is really hard. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you. So when we went to his home for dinner, his wife, Betty is wonderful. So gracious. And he introduced, you know, over dinner, um, he introduced us to everybody on the staff there. And, um, uh, so each of the chiefs have staffs, obviously, because they have, sure. so, I mean, they're basically, you know, Betty Walsh was the first lady of the air force, basically, and right. went everywhere with her husband. And, uh, it's an incredible job and, um, introduced, he knew all the staff. He, even if they weren't from his house, cause they borrow each other's staffs and stuff like that. Right. Sure. Um, and he could not have been more gracious and proud of all the people on who were in the building, in his home, serving us and, and making the experience so wonderful. And then we had one of the arm, uh, 
Air Force bands came and played for us. Wow. The country band, the country hop hip band or something. Okay. They were incredibly talented. These people are, I mean, they're from some of the best conservatories in the country Mm. um, are in our military bands, which actually right now is up for, um, you know, it's on the block in Congress. Really? It's a a very small number, something like $470 million dollars. Against all of the, which is a drop in the bucket. This I is know. nothing. Yeah, I right? know. trust me. Eight hundred billion, much, right? I, I mean, please. <laughs> and that they're even debating this is ridiculous. Given how much the I mean, come bands, on. you know, bands are well, part the, of the military, right? How well, can you also, march around if you don't have a band? Well, they provide so much entertainment, right? I mean, it's a morale booster. Hello. Oh, huge. Anyway, don't, yeah. I could get. But he knew all of the people in the band. He knew where they're from. He knew what they graduated with. Blah, 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 wow. Blah. Wow. And he, um, I was just so impressed. And I probably just gushing about this man too much, but um, <laughs> well, we've been it's better really served. Cool that you got to, that's, so, a, that's a good I, spot that you got, that you put I yourself actually, in, you um, know, as well, millennial which, expert, you know. Well, you know, I think I got it because I was, I, I think they called me because I had been at um, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue like six, six, four or five months earlier um, for another, for a, a workshop on this topic. And I think someone was there from them. So who knows? Is that I don't the know White how House? people find is me. That, is that, is that... It is. I'm not allowed to say that either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you don't know. I mean, you when you're out, you know, you, you have know. a Facebook. Like for yourself, right. I'm sure people, for you, Jeff, you know, like, oh, I've listened to your podcast. You're like, oh, God, who is that? Right? Right. Um, you put yourself out there in the world. And, yeah. and um, I think if you're generous with your time and you're generous with your attitude and what you know, mm. things come to you, you oh, know, yeah, and it, sure. it takes you on very many different paths. I would never have an, it was never a goal. Get to the Pentagon. I never wrote that down anywhere. Well, <laughs> for my next book, I've written it down three times, you know, because you want to go back. I yeah. want to go back. You know, I, I, I wanted to ask one more thing. Um, because this is something that I think I already know the answer to, but I want you to say it anyway. Um, I think boomers and Gen X and millennials are probably all, they're working together and happier after the change and the shift that was probably, you know, precipitated by the millennial showing up, right? Am, am, I, am I off base there? I. Sorry, say it again. Is everybody, are all three generations happier after the shift that you made no. to a, no? Oh, in my, uh, in my company? Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Our retention rate is right. huge. I mean, is is we, yeah. Okay, well, good. We measure, so I measure success on that on retention rate. So um, in San Francisco, in the last two years, the average um, tenure of someone under 27 is about 13 months. And, um, Obviously, I had experienced it at two months, right? <laughs> right. Okay. And so I put the goal as my goal is thirty six months, three times the average. Wow. Like thirty nine months is it was my goal. That that's pretty. And, that's a good stretch because uh, well, nowadays, we're at four years right now. Oh, good so, for you! Wow. Um, if we sit under twenty nine, we're at four years. So that's how you measure if you're doing things well, right? Mm. Yes, for sure. Yeah, if people so, in hang my around, business, yeah, people <laughs> hang around that you want to have hang around, right? Right. right. <laughs> well, you know, in the in the high tech companies now, like I guess, like you would call them developers, you know, the mm-hmm. young folks doing the computer work. 
Yeah. Um, typically, they they only stay on a project for a year. Now they're not oh, yeah. leaving the company, but it's like they're burnt out. Right. And, and it's and so they just pick them up and move them into a new thing because yep. their their brain is fried on that yep. thing, and they need mm-hmm. they need some novelty. So, but they're staying in the same company, which is a positive sign, I think. Many do. Yeah, many do. Not everybody. You know, eventually yeah. you'll get poached and and move on, but you know. that's you know it's a whole new world (laughs) yeah well i think the key is to you know they're going to leave you right so make it hard for them to leave right right and my very focus my i'm working on my second book right now called the boomerang principle and it is about that really how do you make sure people are not you know the concept of loyalty if you googled that today you'd you'd find just hundreds of negative articles about how loyalty doesn't exist anymore and blah 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 right right but um my concept my belief on that is well of course it doesn't cuz all corporate america proved to you that they would not be loyal to you so right. why do you yes. Deloitte deserve their loyalty? You have to kind of earn it now because you're working uphill. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Right. So, but the same thing I love that. view is yeah. that we want people to be loyal to us, to the companies that we work, you know, I want people to be loyal to Double Forte for their entire careers. Wow. That doesn't mean they're going to work here forever. Right. You do, but at least they stay positive about It's not a function of tenure. Right. It's a function of attachment. Mm hmm. So that's I'm working on that book right now. Even when they day. leave, they still they still talk Correct. positively about your company. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they refer things and they and they say good they things. They come back. I have right. in um right now in San Francisco, <laughs> I think I have four four people who left and came, have come back. Left, took other jobs and came back to the jobs they have. See. That's, that's amazing. So you're doing something right. <laughs> I'm good working on it. Good for you. This has been a blast. Possibly changing. <laughs> this has been a blast, Lee. I appreciate your time. Uh, so Jeff. I'll say it again, LeeCaraHer.com. Go check out her website and her book. I mean, make sure I get the name of it right again. This is, oh, where did it go? Oh, Millennials in Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. How'd I do? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. 10 stars. Yay. (laughs) This has been a blast. Thanks, Lee. Thanks so much, Jeff. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V-double-E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.